Desideratum is a Latin word, meaning things that are desired as essential. The Desideratum podcast celebrates the art of telling and the journey of listening to stories with narrator Teresa Bakken and her author, artist, and wordsmith, Friends. Episode 17. My grandmother is um, has always been a big influence in my life, and she is a great storyteller. And um, she's about to celebrate her 104th birthday and still loves to tell stories. I mean, um, she's just, you know, terrific at it. And she's kind of, she lives in a small town in North Carolina and is sort of the memory keeper for a lot of, um, you know, events that have happened in this town. This is Meredith Stoddard, the granddaughter of a storyteller, a memory keeper. I love that description. I promise we will come back to that. But let's start with Meredith's story. She is the author of the Once and Future series, a folklore-inspired fiction. Her main character, Sarah, studies something Meredith finds fascinating. She studies folk songs. And they start out in um, in England and Scotland and Ireland, and they tell stories. And, you know, a lot of them are moral stories and morality tales, sort of. But they tell stories of events that happen, too. And as they, you know, as the immigrants came over from the UK and settled in America, they, um, you know, those stories evolved and the names might have changed and as they change, you know, it's, it's fascinating to see what things are different and what things remain. So, um, you know, it's just wonderful to trace that stuff, which is part of how I got to Sarah's, um, you know, Sarah's calling as a folklorist is she's studying that song and she wants to see how it changed. Um, now that song is made up. (laughs) I made that up. Um, but the sort of idea of studying the evolution of a song is, is a, you know, pretty common one in folklore. While there is Celtic folklore, cauldrons, romance, mystery, and moonshine in Meredith's tale, the series is also contemporary with a modern heroine who is resilient. Even though she's, you know, she's steeped in folklore and she knows that her family is different, she's also very skeptical of this weird kind of, you know, prophecy narrative that comes along because she is a contemporary woman and she is very she's pretty empowered and doesn't like the idea of somebody saying oh no 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 this is your destiny and she's like oh no I don't think so with all of these things sort of working against her I don't ever feel like she's a victim yeah I appreciate that I think um I think in the later books she she certainly has the deck stacked against her but she doesn't like to think of herself as a victim so I don't think that um I don't think that uh I think of her that way. Right. No, you create characters that are resilient. They overcome. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the other things I loved on your website, you have started creating short stories. I came at it after I already knew the characters. And I, so for me, they're like bonus material, you Mm -hmm. know, is that what, what, so what prompted that? Um, I think sometimes I do them just as an exercise. Like I want to get a better feel for this character. So let me go ahead and write a story from their perspective. 
Um, and it's just a bonus that I can share them with, you know, my newsletter subscribers or, you know, the other thing is I just feel like there's more to explore. And so because it's so long between when my books are published, I feel like I have to give readers something, you know, to kind of keep them going and remind them that, Hey, there's another book coming. You're right. It's a great exercise. It's kind of a glue in between mm-hmm. um, book releases. It also just really speaks to the fact that you, that you're very productive, right? Oh, I wish I, I, I feel like I'm never productive enough. <laughs> I mean, I'm a mom and I, you know, have a family and a home and all that stuff. So I have all of that to distract me yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I'm never productive enough you know, but I love that it's a double-edged sword because I know people are waiting, which is probably why I pressure myself to do, to try to do more faster. Well, that was something else that you mentioned in one of the blog posts was that you, that that's something that does keep you going. You have an invested following Mm -hmm. that you Mm -hmm. have this loyal and um, anticipatory, you know, waiting for the next one. And yeah, uh, So how does that feel as an author? Um, It's fantastic. (laughs) I mean, that's the best. Um, But yeah, it's magical and also humbling because, uh, you know, I feel like these people have given me this much of their time, you know, and to read through, what is it? Almost 2000 pages now of the stories that I think is humbling. You know, that's a lot of hours of reading. And I feel like, Yay, if I've entertained people for that long, you know, it's fantastic. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, wow, they've really given a lot of their time. And, um, you know, I should make sure that it's worth it. One of the things that I really liked is you you begin the book with a scene that makes the reader really curious about what happened in this child's life. You know, like there's a hook mm-hmm. of there's a hook of something that has happened in the past And for me, that's really kind of the essence of the book is that there's something that has happened in the past and you're just pulling back the veil on that from Mm -hmm. the present all throughout, you know, not just to her childhood, but back to, you know, her mother and her grandmother and what's happened in this ancient past even. Um, Yeah. But so we're going to hear that scene uh, that you open with. This is the beginning of the beginning. Um, (laughs) So can you set that up for us? Um, sure. Yeah. Without, you know, without revealing too much, it, it's funny because it wasn't the first scene in the river maiden, but it was sort of the bathtub incident, we'll call it. Um, that was the first scene I wrote in the whole series. And it was, you know, and it's a, it's a pretty harrowing thing. And I think that kind of, of trauma when you're so young can inform a lot of the choices that you make in your life, can inform the way that you interact with the world you know, and Sarah has that. And I think you, you see as she's an adult, you know, she's a little bit paranoid about stuff. She's very private. She doesn't really let people in. And a lot of that has to do with a lack of trust towards a lot of people, (laughs) you know, because somebody very close to her did something that was so awful that, you know, felt like a betrayal. And yeah, I like the analogy that you use with the veils because it is, Um, during that book, you're sort of seeing glimpses of what that is and how it affects her until, you know, towards the end when you find out what really happened. And it's just kind of, 
potentially devastating. And you realize that she could have really just been, been knocked on her backside for, you know, decades because of that. And she manages to, um, to pull things out and, and create something for herself and overcome that. That is a great place to start our featured excerpt, the beginning pages of The River Maiden, book one of the Once and Future series, written by Meredith Stoddard. Chapter One Morag McAlpin died when she was six years old, although death can be a relative term. It's sprinkled throughout our everyday language like so much cinnamon on top of our morning coffee. When we're excited, we say, I could just die. We get mortified when we're embarrassed. When kids know they're in trouble, they say, my parents are going to kill me. And of course, there is the petite mort of sexual satisfaction. Our pop culture is full of sentient ghosts, vampires, and zombies who interact with the world even after death. Our most prominent religions are based on what happens after we die. Hindus and Buddhists espouse reincarnation. Islam promises a heaven of gardens with rivers running through it. Mormons even allow you to convert relatives after they've died. Christianity is based on the idea that death is only a temporary condition. And like Jesus, believers will all be resurrected when the rapture comes. We do our best to change death from a period or even an exclamation point at the end of life into a comma or a semicolon. Whether little Morag's heart actually stopped on that morning in the spring of 1976 is debatable. But there is no doubt that the girl who woke up gasping for breath, cradled in her grandmother's arms that day, was not the same girl who had been picking flowers in the woods just that morning, or laughing with her mother as she got ready for her bath. In that moment, when she stared shivering over her grandmother's shoulder at the limp form of her mother on the floor, the ground shifted beneath her feet, and the very sky above her changed color. Nothing was ever the same. And for a child as young as six, the only solution was to become a different person. That was the day that Morag became Sarah, and Sarah put away childish things like fairy tales. June 1995 Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Sarah woke up gasping for air. Her heart was pounding. The dream had been so vivid that for a few seconds she didn't see her bedroom, but the bathroom of her childhood home. Its dull, tiled floor was puddled with water from her bath and spotted with blood. Her mother lay unconscious on the floor. But this time... Sarah hadn't come to cradled in her grandmother's arms, with Granny cooing to soothe her. This time, she was alone. Granny was gone. Again? 
Sarah thought, as the room began to resolve itself from dream and memory to reality. She'd been having the dream far too often lately. She had the bags under her eyes to prove it. She inhaled deeply, trying to slow her breathing, and maybe to prove to herself that she could, that it was air and not bathwater. Nope, it was definitely air. Humid, sticky, my A.C. can't keep up with June, air. Sarah cast a look around the room, taking a mental inventory, reminding herself that she wasn't in the holler. She was in her apartment in Chapel Hill, her very messy apartment. When her inventory reached the clock beside her bed, she sat up with a start. 9.30? The library had been open for half an hour, and if she was going to catch up with her transcriptions, she needed every minute. She shot out of bed and threw on a pair of jeans and a T-shirt. She wound her wild and curly hair into a bun and secured it with a pencil, then grabbed her bag and headed for the door. Between the kitchen and the door, she noticed Amy, sitting at the table with a cup of coffee and a copy of the Herald. Her bobbed brown hair was slicked back and wet, as if it had just been washed. Sarah stopped in her tracks. Amy was usually up and out earlier than this. "'Hey!' Amy said. Sarah turned back toward the apartment's dining area and stared at her roommate in confusion. "'What are you doing?' Amy's tone implied that Sarah had lost her mind. Going to the library? We're going to Grandfather Mountain today. Remember? Right. Sarah stood dumbly in the middle of the living room. Her backpack slid slowly off her shoulder and down her arm. You're not awake yet, Amy said. Put your bag down and go take a shower. We've got to be going in about 45 minutes if we're going to talk to that folk song class. Sarah turned and walked back down the hall, still wondering how she could have forgotten about their trip. She tossed her bag into the bedroom and went straight to the bathroom to take a shower. The water revived her memory. They were, indeed, heading up to the Grandfather Mountain Highland Games to perform. She had even packed her bag already for the trip. Sarah probably would have remembered earlier if she hadn't spent the better part of the night tossing and turning. She finished her shower and got dressed. She'd had the bathtub dream again. It had been happening a lot more lately. She wasn't sure why. But the result was usually a sleepless night. Come on, Sarah! We're going to be late! Amy called as she dragged her own bag out the apartment door. Sarah scrambled to throw her keys and wallet into her bag and follow. She squared her shoulders, took a deep breath, and stepped into the near-blinding summer sun. They stowed their bags in the back with the tent they had packed the night before. Donald is going to be so disappointed if we miss that class, Amy chided as Sarah slipped into the passenger seat of Amy's Toyota. I know. I'm sorry. We're just singing, right? Amy let out an exasperated sigh. The guy teaching the class is a friend of Donald's, and Donald told him we would come and talk about mouth music. That's right, the guy from Scotland. I don't know what's gotten into you lately. Her friend spoke over her shoulder as she turned onto Ransom Street. 
you sleep even less than usual, which I didn't think was possible. And when you're awake, you're half-dazed. It's just stress, I think. Too much to get done before my research trip. You know, that stuff's still going to be here when you get back, Amy said, giving Sarah a sidelong glance. I have to ask you something, and I want you to be completely honest with me. Are you on drugs? Sarah, who never took so much as an aspirin, gaped at her roommate. Amy gave her a crooked smile, and the two exploded with laughter. Tension flew out the window. I've been having that dream again. The one about my mother? It keeps me up. You know, because I needed more stress on top of work. Well, you can get plenty of sleep today. We've got a long drive ahead of us. I don't mind doing most of it, but you're taking over once we get to the mountains. Sounds good. Sarah shifted so she could lean back in the seat and drifted off to sleep just as Amy hit the highway. So I like to ask for you, and you could respond as an author or a mom or mm-hmm. what you think is essential. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm an introvert, so I think that I like quiet. I like to, um, you know, I like to have peace and <laughs> that gives me time to think and plan and, you know, and just be, and, um, so I, I enjoy that kind of, of quiet and I, as much as I love my kids and my dogs and, you know, all of that stuff, it's sometimes nice to just kind of come out here to my shed and close the door and, you know, and sit and just be, I think it was Stephen Pressfield, um, in, uh, the war of art, which is a wonderful book. I recommend it to anyone. It's about making art, but it's really about life. And um, he talks about how for writers, whenever we step away from the campfire, our characters and their voices all just come to join us. Like we're never alone. You know, writers, we pull back, but then that's when our imaginary friends come in and, and talk to us. And so, you know, if I'm to keep writing, that's, that's what I essentially need is, is some peace and quiet. And, you know, then they, everybody just shows up and tells me their stories. Yeah, that's a great answer. I love that. And I didn't want to forget to circle back. I had made like an asterisk in my notes mm-hmm. about your website that you at the bottom of one page, it says, thank you to my grandmother. She's gifted you the love of stories. But this was the important part. I thought that no matter who they are, everyone has a story worth telling, which mm-hmm. I I think that there's another layer to that. It's not just that everybody has a story. It's that they have a story worth telling. And yeah. just a few minutes ago, you described her as a memory keeper, which just my hair stood up on the back of my neck. I, that idea is just so powerful. Well, I think, you know, I mean, she is, she is amazing and she approaches the world with a level of kindness and empathy and um, you know, that kind of perception and that kind of 
seeking to fill a need and that sense of community is, um, you know, something that she instilled in me when I was very young. And, you know, I think it's just really in her approach to the world. And when you, you know, when you live your life like that with kindness, it all comes back. I'm grateful every day that my kids know her and are old enough to remember her. To read the Once and Future series and Meredith's short stories for yourself, visit her website. I'll put it in the show notes and, of course, on the Desideratum podcast website. You'll also find a picture of her grandmother, Joyce, there. Thanks for listening.